This meeting is being recorded. Okay, we are live in the breakout room, and this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development. And we have a very special guest on this live version of the breakout room. Her name is Elizabeth Mikotowicz, and she is an entrepreneur of sorts, and her story is intriguingly fascinating. One that would bring a whole lot of highlights about the prison system in the US of A, and of course her challenges with uh, fighting off drug abuse and living a life that almost basically destroyed her future. But she recovered, and that's a fantastic thing. And so we say hats off to Elizabeth for what she has done with her life and so on. But I'm not the star of the moment. She's the one that's in the spotlight. So Elizabeth, welcome to the show, this episode. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to come on. So uh, you were supposed to be on about two weeks ago, but um, you had some challenges with your dogs, Pavo. Yeah, we just moved uh, down south. Uh, my fiance got a job down here and we got some puppies and they ended up catching parvo and it was it was awful. Um, even with the vaccine, they only have like a 41% chance of making it. So, and it's really bad now. I had never even heard of it, you know, until they were sick. And, you know, a lot of these vets just care more about profit than they do um, animals. So, I mean, it was, it was really awful. And we lost three of them from uh, it. And yeah, it was rough. Yeah, I can imagine. I know most folks have a very good um, emotional relationship with their pets and they mean something uh, so yeah. I understand and empathize with you um so and we wish you we hope that you have uh, great success with the dogs that you have remaining going forward as well yeah, yeah thank you uh, they're, they're too old to catch parvo so ah, oh, yeah. okay so they they are safe they are shielded insulated so far yeah okay great elizabeth we just want to get into your story a little bit so um, we know that you were in a very violent, uh, abusive relationship, and that almost cost you your life. But yeah. tell us about the period of time before that. What was it like for you growing up as a young lady, as a teen? Um, you know, I struggled with mental health a little bit, and the doctors just put me on, you know, an antidepressant, and turns out I'm high functioning autistic. So, you know, I, I, have gone through bipolar diagnosis, ADHD, you know, all, all that. Yeah. And, you know, none of their meds ever worked for me. Like a lot of their psych meds would put me in psychosis. And so I struggled with that growing up, but you know, I had a really great family, you know, there was a lot of love, a lot of support and, you know, I was really blessed in that, you know, area. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing. So what happened with regards to that relationship where you almost lost your life? How was that experience for you? Um, well, it was pretty awful. Um, my ex uh, hit me with a wooden dowel and you could see my skull when uh, that happened. And I, when I went to the hospital, I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. And so I started getting seizures after um, that assault. And so I my daughter was only 14 months old and I would be unconscious for, you know, moments at a time on the ground and I'd go deaf and blind. 
And so she had to start staying with my father because, you know, I kept waking up. I'm like, I don't want to wake up to a tragedy. And there was nothing I could do about it. I was going to manipulation therapy every two weeks. They put me in the pain clinic. And when I tried to refuse, because I'm like, I'm pregnant, I don't want to get addicted. My baby get addicted. They told me not to worry because I was on too small of a dose, which, you know, now we know that was just big pharma's gimmick that, you know, to push their product. And um, they told me that because I was pregnant, it could result into a call to CPS because where my blood pressure kept skyrocketing, it can put the baby in danger. And even though, you know, opioids, all they do is make the pain receptors in your brain more sensitive. So when it wears off, you know, you're in twice the amount of pain than you were. And that's the evil of this drug and what they're not telling people. It literally rewires your brain to make that substance like water. And, you know, um, so the abuse got worse. Um, He would trap me in the bathroom and torture me for hours. Um, I mean, he choked me to the point my windpipe was damaged. And I would go through these fits where it would kind of collapse in on itself and I couldn't breathe. And I would have to chug water to, like, open up my airway enough. And this would go on for about 45 minutes, like, to the point where I'd be throwing up because I drank so much water. And um, I eventually went to Spruce Run, the battered women's shelter in Bangor. And first they called me a liar. They said, well, women come in here and they're crying and upset. You know, you have no emotion. So I brought my hospital records. I brought, you know, the police report, you know, all, all that stuff. And then they did a complete 180 and they said, well, after talking with the cops, you know, your injuries are so extensive and your situation is so dangerous that it puts the other women in the shelter in danger. So sorry, we can't help you. And I had made a deal with my father that if they wouldn't help me and get me into housing, because I lost my housing because of this man. And um, yeah, the, the one of the girls that got the bed, um, the, she lived in the same housing unit at, as me. And at a party, she was laughing. She goes, he didn't even hit me. He just kicked my car. And now I'm getting a whole new apartment. Like she lost her place because she was partying. Like I lost it because of something I had no control over. Okay. And um, yeah, and absolutely, that's domestic violence, you know, breaking, you know, property and, you know, intimidation. But in comparison to my situation where I literally would have died if I hadn't gone to the hospital and right. I was still struggling with, you know, permanent damage, like I was in so much pain every day now, like I had never dealt with chronic pain before. And this was completely debilitating. And um, like, of course, after my I had my son, like I wasn't really trying to, you know, stay in control of, you know, my addiction, like I kind of just, you know, went out the window with it and was like, well, I don't have a baby to worry about anymore. It's just me. And so that's when I started kind of like getting worse. And um, once Spruce Run didn't help me, um, drug dealers did basically, like they gave me places to hide, you know, um, they gave me drugs to sell. And, you know, I, that I ended up, you know, becoming something I never planned on. Like I was a single mom going to college. Like I, I had plans and dreams and stuff I wanted to do. And, you know, because of some bad choices of who I dated, you know, my whole life fell apart. And 70% of women in American prison have some sort of sexual assault or domestic violence in their past. You know, this is, these are women who were, you know, falling through the cracks of society and were failed. And, 
you know, then I went to jail in 2011 and I got to see the systemic cruelty of it. You know, I grew up thinking that America was such a great country and everybody was so equal and, you know, yeah, we, there was a civil rights movement, but you know, it's all better now. And, you know, nobody gets, you know, racially oppressed anymore, you know, except for a couple of isolated incidences. And that was, you know, I going to prison and seeing firsthand, like what was really happening, you know, um, it was like, I, I felt so betrayed. I'm like, you know, they they were sterilizing women of color in American prisons. Like I met a couple of them. And at some point I'm like, not a single one of these women are white. And now all of a sudden it's a great day, you know, for white lives is overturning a Roe v. Wade. It's like, they're still committing genocide. They're still, you know, targeting certain groups. And, you know, it was just horribly, you know, awakening in such a, awful way um i mean and the stuff women go through in prison um you know my first week at somerset county an entire pot of women got stripped out because they signed up for a razor and the male sergeant wanted a list of who shaved their vaginas and who didn't because they made a rule that said you couldn't shave yourself down there and this was only for the women they weren't stripping men out to see if they'd shave down there and those that did were punished and this is the pg stuff that goes on you know in american prisons and we we have more prisons than we do colleges. I mean, at this point, it's it's really it's really bad. Um, you know, the doctors in the prison doctors are allowed to have lost their license. Most of them have malpractice suits and have lost their doctor's license, but they're they're allowed to treat people in prison. And this is why so many inmates die of neglect. Like, I mean, I've watched inmates perform minor surgeries on themselves wow. because they want they can't get adequate health care. Wow. Wow. Elizabeth, I can hear the passion in, in your story. And I understand the pain of that reality. You probably having to kind of relive it by pieces in your mind again. But what I want to focus on is when did you come to the point where you realized that you had to do something even in that system? even among all the negative stuff that was happening to make your life personally better. And when you came out of there, you had something valuable. When did that affinity moment create a turnaround for you? What was that experience? What happened? Well, so there was this officer at Somerset County and I was put in solitary all, all kinds of times, you know, for petty reasons, cause they didn't like me. And, um, She'd literally come in. I was on a medication that was putting me in psychosis because yeah. they had me on uh, antidepressants. And, you know, it that those just don't work for me. And yeah. she would come in and tell me to kill myself or write on my um, paperwork, you know, I can't wait for you to get out. So you overdose and, you know, really awful stuff like that. It was in the paper wow. that. Yeah, it was in the paper that she told another inmate to kill themselves and they had to cut that inmate down from a suicide attempt. He tried to hang himself. And wow. so like I had let all this go and like moved on with my life and you know was doing art shows and you know other things in the community, you know, in my sobriety and um yeah, that came out in the paper and how the jail was refusing to hand over the officer's disciplinary records. And then that's when I was like, you know what? They knew she was doing this to people because I told them and like I gave them these um, 
you know, the things that she would write to me and stuff like that. And I had also filed a PREA complaint against them because they forced me to strip in front of cameras under duress of being maced and extracted. And that's when they come in 12 deep with a SWAT team, you know, all suited up in, you know, electric shock shields, mace, batons. They have, they have canisters full of chemicals that will, are chemically designed to take the oxygen out of your throat. I mean, and if one cell gets hit, they all get hit because of the vent systems. So even the inmates that haven't done anything wrong, yeah. they are being met with this violence. And so when I got to Alderson, I filed a PREA complaint, which stands for Prison Rape Elimination Act. Yeah. And they admitted to everything I was complaining about, and then they deemed it unfounded. That's how they stop it from going outside of the jail to an outside source. This is why these institutions can't continue to do their own investigations. Because they'll just say, oh, un unfounded, like, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. We did it, but it's okay because, you know, we're the law and we can do that. And so they would, Alderson wouldn't even let me hold this complaint. They read me the results and then they wouldn't even let me hold it to read it myself. They wouldn't let me have a copy of it. I couldn't send it home. I couldn't do anything. And this is how they're bearing the abuse. They're just not giving the paperwork. And so when they did this to me and when it was in the paper again, that's when I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, you know, see if I can get the paperwork and see what I can do, you know, to bring awareness about this. So I'm actually proposing a bill that states um, all jail facilities be, you know, fined like $500 a day or something for every day they stonewall an inmate. There needs to be a consequence because right now, you know, by law, they have to give me the paperwork if I request it, but there's no consequence for them if they don't. So there needs to be a consequence. Yeah. You know, this is how they're, you know, bearing the abuse. And then when I got out of prison, the captain and four of his subordinates at Alderson, Captain Grimes, all got arrested and charged and convicted of raping and stalking inmates and tampering with PREA evidence. So I'm not the only one they did it to, and I was far from their worst victim. Yeah. And, you know, just the it's it's terrible and the juvenile systems here and you know you have these republicans going well we need armed cops in every school to prevent mass shootings well you did that and you didn't prevent a single mass shooting but you did send a bunch of black kids to jail mm. to juvenile centers and this is where they're you know predators flock to these facilities yeah. for work you know 98 percent of predators aren't on the registry they you know 90 yeah 96% of them don't even see a courtroom. Okay. So, you know, you have these juveniles getting abused so horribly. When I was at Cumberland, they would bring these juvenile kids with us when they got to be too much of a problem. This one little girl assaulted the officer with, you know, a pencil. And so they sent her with us. She got tired of getting sexually assaulted. So she retaliated. They sent her with us. They told her she was going back on Christmas. They ruined this little girl's Christmas, re-traumatized her, and told her she was going back into the custody of her abusers. She, oh, that night, man. broke a razor open, and, you know, that, that, was, that was it. She lived, thank God. But, you know, this is what they're doing to, you know, women and, and children in the system. And they're calling it rehabilitation when actually it's all for profit. You know, a hospital saves $350,000 a year contracting their linen to be washed by inmates instead of paying um, regular Americans a minimum wage, not even a living wage, a minimum wage. I think it was Indiana that said their economy would collapse if they didn't have cheap inmate labor. You know, there's a reason that all of these prisons across America were taking out PPP loans during the pandemic. 
they, they were expanding their prisons. They were putting more beds in their facilities. And now they're criminalizing homelessness. We have 29 empty properties for every homeless man, woman, and child in America. It was three before the pandemic. I mean, I'm not one for, you know, socialism and all that, but, you know, China's doing something, right? They don't have a single homeless person. Wow. I understand what you're saying. Uh, and I guess the passion continues. Now, I just want you to look on the brighter side of things for a little bit. All that is reality and somebody's got to deal with it. I commend you for the stand that you take and for being able to stand up for what you believe. A whole lot of people need to do that because they have to understand that everybody's opinion matters and everybody's opinion counts. Here's the thing. Tell us a bit about EPM clothing and how that came into reality. So I created... Yeah, I found um, this company called La Galleries, and they transform your art into a clothing line, a very feminine clothing line. I painted murals in prison, and I would paint inmates' cups, um, you know, as a side hustle, and I do portraits and, you know, small stuff like that. And um, over the pandemic, I found this company, La Galleries, they're in um, Montreal, Canada, and it's environmentally friendly. It comes in plus sizes, so it's very inclusive. And it's not, you know, as women, we're, you know, taught that we're only as valuable as we are skinny and pretty. And I was so happy with this brand, you know, when I ordered it. And, you know, I'm, I'm skinny now, but there was a time, you know, growing up, I was a little bit thicker. So when trying clothes on, certain brands would size their stuff really, really small. And it would be like three sizes smaller than, you know, other brands. And it would, you know, I'd watch, you know, I'd feel bad about myself and I'd watch a lot of my friends, you know, skip eating afterwards. And so there's this really toxic culture that women have had shoved down their throats. And I'm just so happy that, you know, this brand, everything's sized bigger. So it's not going to make anyone feel bad. And, you know, the colors are just dead on to my paintings. Like I'll paint the designs and um, send it to them and pick out what I want on it. And then, you know, I just you end up getting all this really pretty stuff, right. you know, and some days I'm like super gothic and, you know, kind of, you know, in that dark femme yeah. Yeah. energy. And then other days it's like flowers and butterflies and koi fish and, you know, stuff like that. Oh. And you can get, you can get um, the same, the, the painting is on the tag. Yeah. So you can get like a whole outfit of like one matching painting and you can get a bag, you can get headbands, you can get pants, dresses, shirts. I mean, there's even pillowcases. Yeah. Like this is a pillowcase. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's placemats. Here's a placemat. <laughs> okay. And everything, like every, the way it's made, it's all environmentally friendly. So, you know, we're not hurting the earth with this. And that's something I think everyone needs to start thinking about. That's right. The environment is, is very, very important. Yes. Systems is very important to our survival. Yeah. Pretty yeah. really stuff. So, Elizabeth, here's the thing. I, I get the feeling, and, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, that much of what you had experienced and gone through comes alive through your murals, your designs, and even what you have on the clothing. Yeah. And so what is the real message that you want people to get, especially maybe women 
um, minorities who are facing the same kind of stuff that you went through and it's a challenging thing and they need to overcome. What are you saying to them through your murals, uh, the artwork and the clothing? And I know there's a strong message there. What is it like for you? Um, well, you know, my mission with this brand is to, you know, empower, you know, all who embody the divine feminine, whether you're a woman, bi, bi, trans man, woman, you know, whatever, like I want, you know, the world teaches us that we're to be thrown away and that there's something wrong with us. And if we speak up too loud, you know, it's a problem. And, you know, I just want to empower any anybody that you know embodies that divine feminine energy that you know you're worth it and you're beautiful and you have something to offer the world and believe in yourself and know how stunning you really are okay all right i hear that and i appreciate that so are you still in the process of putting together your memoir Yes, I am editing it. I just got another chapter edited the other day. So it's coming along. Um, it's called No Justice, Just Us. And the very first, one of the very first cells I was in, somebody wrote on the wall, there's no justice in the system. It's just us in the system. And it's, it's come to be a true statement. Um, like, you know, and just to add on what, you know, I was saying before about the prison industries bypassing slavery laws, you know, for profit, they only pay us $5.25 a month to work 40 hours a week. And if we don't, you know, we lose good time, we're punished, we're put in the hole. Um, and, you know, it's just, and then they, um, like when we order commissary, like a package of ramen noodles, it costs 20 cents out here, it costs $1.50 in there. You know, they're extorting us for money every which way they can. And, yeah. you know, it's all on the taxpayer's money. When you show up to prison, if you don't have your GED or high school diploma, they'll make you take the GED. And that's good if you don't have the GED. But what was happening is the prison's getting $2,000 for every inmate that takes the GED and another $2,000 when they graduate. While they would tell the inmates, you have to get your high school transcripts. We're not going to get them for you. And you only have 60 days to do this, or you're going to be put in the GED. Even though it was in their PSI and their paperwork that they had PhDs and doctorates. So there were all these women with, you know, these very high educations that were being forced to take the GED because it's making the prison money. And then to cut corners again, they'd have those inmates with the high educations teach the inmates that actually needed the GED instead of hiring teachers. So, I mean, it's just one big money pit and, you know, it's, it's not right. We make up 25% of the global incarceration population. And this is mostly targeting, you know, BIPOC communities and poor, you know, the rich can pay their way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and me, even as a white woman, I got 37 months, which I was very blessed to get. But if I had been a black woman or a Spanish woman or a native woman, I probably would have gotten five, seven or more years. Oh, that's... And th that's not right. And, you know, I got I went to prison and I got to read all the paperwork. So I got to compare all this. And, you know, I'm not going to just be like the former generations of white women that's going to uphold the system of white supremacy because it's not it's not helping any of us you know i don't want to be the trustee of the block i'm good like <laughs> y'all can keep that <laughs> wow elizabeth <laughs> i like your energy I, I i i sometimes think that we need to have 
a better understanding of the systems that we live in, in the world, and not only just the system, but what is behind the system, what drives it, what keeps it going, and the effects that it has on the whole that it has on people, especially in the minorities. And I understand what you're saying. So you were able to work with state representatives to yeah. uh, pass bills. How, yep. how did it come about? What was that experience like? So um, there was this cop up in Calais, and he got drug charges for giving this uh, high school girl drugs to give to her mother, who was giving paying for these drugs through sex acts. So wow. he was extorting this woman's addiction. You know, a thirty-year-old veteran cop. You know, you, they are well versed in addiction. Yeah. You know, so I was so mad he only got drug charges. So I called the DA up and I was like, why didn't you charge him with a sex crime? He abuses authority. He abuses power. Like, this isn't okay. And he's like, well, the way the law is written, it was consent. But you should bring these um, issues up with the main state legislatures because they can put amendments in and, you know, add to this. Because, you know, cops, they, it's not the same as correctional officers. Like, they consider it consent with civilians. And it shouldn't be because they have power over us. You know, right. and as a woman who's been to prison, the only thing I'm thinking is, you know, what am I going to jail for when I say no? And, you know, that's the reality of it. And so I wrote to Charlotte Warren and a few others, and she responded to me and said, you've made some really good points, you know, stuff that I wouldn't have thought of. So that one, that one's still being worked on. But when we did just get passed um, in Maine was mandating all jails provide tampons and pads free of charge for women. Because this is a problem in prison too. You know, they don't have pads and, and tampons. You know, well, they, they will, they will, most places will only provide, you know, these really cheap pads. Yeah. But, you know, if you run out, they're not too quick to go run and get them for you. And, you know, a lot of places will charge you for tampons and it, they'll jack the price up way more than, you know, you pay out here. And so women will literally make their own tampons and give themselves infections. And it's it's a problem. And, you know, they, I've watched female officers tell women, go bleed on yourself. Like, what do I care? And oh. it's that, you know too many sociopathic people are in this position over people's lives. And I'm not here to say all cops are bad and, you know, all that, because, you know, for every cop that oppressed or tried to hurt me, there was another risking their job trying to make it stop. And that's a problem in itself too. So I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say it's cops as a whole, but it's a very alarming high number, you know, of the population. And, you know, a lot of those cops that stood up for me, I don't, I can't say, I know for sure if they would have, if I was a black woman or a brown woman, like I don't, I can't because I don't, I honestly don't know because I've seen them treat other inmates horribly for those reasons. Yeah. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm looking at the situation with regards to opioids and I'm thinking, why is it that it seems to be the one drug that is so attractive with regards to dependence and highly popular. And it happens so fast. Yeah. If you do it, you're gone. What is the reason for that? I mean, you know, I think Big Pharma really peddled this stuff. And it <laughs> before we even knew what happened, yeah. you know, this stuff 
literally rewires your brain. You know, it, it floods your system with endorphins and makes you feel so good. It makes all your pain go away, all your trauma, all that. And then when you come down, it brings it all back, you know, tenfold. Yeah. And so it's that you're not even getting high anymore. You're just trying not to be sick. And you, you start and then, then they want you to take Suboxone. There's actually um, a plant out there that completely cures opioid disease. You know, you don't, you don't uh, detox you, or addiction. You don't detox, you don't get sick and you don't want to do it after. Big Pharma had the CDC outlaw it because they want to make money off of the whole country being on Suboxone and methadone. This is all a big money maker. You know, the suffering of the American people is a trillion dollar industry from the rehabs, to the insurance companies to, you know, big pharma and the prison industry, because then they get to blame us for our addiction and then put us all in prison and put us to work. And, you know, the rehabs, they have a 94% failure rate and they'll kick people out for petty reasons. They'll have these ridiculous petty rules for people with mental health issues who are coming off of drugs. Mm -hmm. And then they just kick people out and it's $30,000, no refund. Wow. So these, these rehabs need, need to have a invested moral morality investigation or something, because I mean, they're just taking advantage of a horrible situation, you know, and the insurance medical insurance companies are loving it. Wow. This is a medical issue, not, you yeah. know, a criminal issue. Okay, I get that. I get that. So, if you were to give somebody advice as to how they can maintain their sobriety and really manage themselves better to get away from all of that, yeah. Some of the things, Elizabeth, that you would be saying to them. Uh, you got to stay away from all your old friends. You know. Um, I stopped hanging out. I love them, care about them, but I'm not going to be around people that are breaking the law and getting high anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I, I meditate a lot. I do a lot of binaural beats. They're free on YouTube. Um, you can look up binaural beats. It's like sound frequency healing. And you can rewire your own brain if you stay at it and, you know, are, you know, dedicated enough like I quit smoking I would literally tell myself I hate cigarettes it's disgusting I hate them I quit smoking I would literally tell myself this every day as I went to sleep and as I smoked a cigarette and eventually I found it disgusting yeah. and I just quit doing it okay. and um yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay I get that thanks for sharing Elizabeth now in terms of the future what does Elizabeth Mikotowicz have for herself plan going forward what are some of the things that you want to achieve are you looking to say um, expand the enterprise of your clothing line and stuff yep i just took a couple workshops on how to get your brand into um like big chain stores yeah. so um yeah like i've gotten them um, in a couple small boutiques in rural rural areas but i want to get them get my brand in you know something big so. yeah is it, is it um, to do that? Um, it's You just have to know what you're doing and do it the proper way. Um, I'm also I'm also planning on getting my memoir published. I just have to finish editing it. I'm coming along, though. Um, and I have an adult coloring book 
that I'm drawing and I'm putting a whole bunch of tips in for trauma and addiction, you know, people in recovery basically and what I've learned about trauma and PTSD and stuff. Uh, Yeah. You've, you've had that kind of hands-on personal experience. So tell me, Elizabeth, is there a, a mentor in your life that that person that's always there when you need someone to talk to, they help you make big decisions and basically helps you keep your feet on the ground and, and your mind focused. <laughs> um, I, I signed up with vocational rehab and um, therefore if anybody out there who's like, has a story like mine or background like mine, they have vocational rehab in all 50 states and um, they'll give you a business advisor. They'll like, they showed me how to get a 10 or apply for a $10,000 grant and I got it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I've never gotten this much money like legally before. And um, you know, they help you a lot with any kind of uh, employment, you know, or if you want to get back into school and, you know, do all, all that. And that's another thing, you know, how they take advantage of felons, um, Though, you know, friends of mine, you know, he went to school to be like an, to read x-rays. And then after he graduated, he was the top of his class. Nobody would hire him because he was a felon. So they will take felons money and be like, yeah, we'll put you through school. And then, you know, they'll let them go for these degrees that they have no chance of getting any job in just to get them in debt, just to, you know, break them a little more. And it's just, it's, it's not right. (laughs) We need to, we need, we have a lot of things we need to address in this country. Um, actually, that was another bill I got passed. Um, the, you know how I was talking about there's 29 empty properties. Well, these landlords were um, charging these outrageous application fees and processing fees and not actually renting the apartment. They'd get, you know, 10 people in a week, you know, charge like $100 per person sometimes in the family just to apply. And then they'd go through, you know, not even go through it. They'd have 78 people that have viewed the apartment. And that's one way to tell if you go on these, um, you know, uh, realty sites and they have like 78 people that have looked at the apartment. Like you couldn't find one tenant in 78 people. Like, no, you're you're scamming people. Of, it's free money to you. And so they passed a bill, um, the tenant bill of rights saying that you can only charge an application fee if a lease is signed. Okay. Yeah. And that's fair. Like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's good. Um, so we hope that the stuff that you're working on with regards to the bill that they actually get into fruition and make a positive impact to some people have found themselves to be victims of the system. Elizabeth, I just want to share something with you, and I want you to give me your comments. I found this on TikTok. What's up, TikTok? So when I was in prison at Danbury, my job was the artist of the prison, and I would paint murals. So I found some of the pictures, and I was going to share them with you guys. murals are still up at Danbury. So I was only allowed to use the color blue and obviously black and white for shading, but I call this my blue period. I figure that's quite fitting considering I was in prison. There were 
tons more murals I did, but I did not get pictures of all of them. And then in between, like where you see the writing, there's like quotes and stuff. And that's my Phoenix. So let me know what y'all think. Oh, and to add context, I got paid $57 a month. And it was one of the highest paying jobs in the prison. Everyone else was working like $5.25 a month, working 40 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah, these big corporations are just loving. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, your comments. Uh, tell us what was happening when you decided to make that video. And are, are these murals still really at, at Danbury still? Yeah. Why did they keep them up though? Um, she, the caseworker wanted to make the place look beautiful and inspiring and not just have white walls. So she had murals like all the way down the hallway and um, on some of the walls, like in the chapel and by the phones and stuff. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, thanks for sharing. So we, we're coming down to the end of the program. Uh, and I just want to give you the opportunity to kind of reach out uh, to our audience and tell them how they can make contact with you if they need to get your clothing and stuff online, if they want to go shopping, um, how they can take advantage of that. So just share your information. Um I'm on TikTok and Instagram. I am on Twitter, but I never go on there uh, since Elon. Um, both handles are the same. It's EPM underscore art underscore 1111. Yeah. And um, the Le website is HTTP colon slash slash www.legalleries.com slash EN slash Elizabeth dot <laughs> all right great so here what when we put this episode out we're going to put all that information in the description so that people when they get the episode and they're looking through the description they can actually click on some of those links and get to you and put in their orders and if they want to get something let's say somebody wants to get something original and they yeah give, i can do that too you can do that as well Yep, and I do um, portraits and um, canvases for people. Um, oh, that's yeah. that's and cool. any yeah. stores that want to buy wholesale, I would love to um, have my brand in your store. So, of course. So, Elizabeth, where did the art come from? How did you develop that um, as a technique, a skill? Um. Well, I always was really good in like art classes and school and stuff. And um, when I was pregnant and, you know, a young mom, I would, I would paint a lot. And um, then I kind of, you know, lost my way. I didn't really do art at all during those, you know, darker years. Um, but once I went to jail, my dad sent me, you know, uh, drawing books and uh, write English writing prompt books. So I would write and I would draw and um, I would paint when I can. So 
Yeah. Very My mother also, she sent me this um, book called Zen Tangle Art, and it's like meditative, like doodling. And that's actually the adult coloring book that I'm creating. Um, yeah, I'm going to have it in Zen Tangle Art. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. So, folks, we have had the pleasure of listening to some very fascinating, uh, riveting stories from Elizabeth with regards to her time that she spent in prison, how she saw the system, uh, the ills of the system, the injustices of the system. But despite all of that, she was able to reprogram herself. And now she's doing her thing and the manner in which she wants to do it and send in a very powerful and positive message to people who are probably still in the system and they need to understand how to navigate and how to help themselves get to a higher level and live a better lifestyle. So, Elizabeth, we just want to thank you so much for being on the show. And people, I want you to remember the three watchwords, health, happiness, and prosperity. And Elizabeth has touched all those three areas on this episode. We just want to thank her so much. And we hope that she has continued uh, success going forward with her clothing line. And we look forward for that memoir coming out soon. No justice, just us. I'm personally looking forward for when that comes out so I can give it a thumbs up and my support. So until next time, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development together with my guest, Elizabeth Mikarowicz, saying so long. Thank you so much. Godspeed. God bless. Shalom. Namaste. Bye for now.